This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you who are watching today, especially are we delighted to have those who watch uh, today for the very first time, and those of you who watch every time we come on the air. We want you to stay tuned. We have an extremely important lesson today. We want to talk about the erosion of moral and spiritual values in our time. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. I'd like to emphasize that this course is free. We want you to have it. We have thousands of people in the United States and all over the world that are studying this Bible course along with us. We hope that you will avail yourself of the opportunity to receive this course. Now that you might know more about the course, that you might know how to receive the course, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box, 314 Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call toll free 1-877-711-5214. In Proverbs the 14th chapter and verse 34, Solomon wrote, Righteousness exalt the nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. The nations of the world seem to be on fire with sin. First John 5, 19 even says that the whole world lies in wickedness. I know this, that, that a nation which forgets spiritual and moral values as it prepares to meet the challenges of the future, will ultimately fail. In Psalms, the ninth chapter, in verse 17, the Bible says that the wicked shall be turned into hell in all of the nations that forget God. In Psalms, the 33rd chapter, in verse 12, the Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It was Edward Gibbon that wrote about the rise, fall, decline, and the fall of the Roman Empire. And he attributed the fall of the great Roman Empire to five failures on the part of the government and citizens of Rome. One was a rapid increase of divorce. Another was higher and higher taxes. A third was the mad craze for pleasure. A fourth was the building of gigantic armaments. And then there was the decay of religion. It was Daniel Webster who said that if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, we will go on prospering. What do you suppose will happen when we cease to abide by the principles taught in the Bible? Think about the world in which we now live. Things once condemned are now condoned. 
sin has been galvanized into respectability. Premarital sex is no longer called sin, but it is called free love. Divorce is at an all-time high. Abortion on demand is a hotly contested issue in our nation. And the use of alcohol is accepted as being normal. It would be tragic enough if the aforementioned things were confined to the world. But in some measure, these have found their way into the lives of alleged Christians. Someone said, the world is not becoming more churchy, but the church is becoming more worldly. A ship is fine so long as the ship is in the water. But when the water gets into the ship, you're in trouble. Well, what are some of those values that we have held to in years gone by that have eroded? One is a consciousness of the reality and presence of God. God is real. As we read in the book of Daniel chapter 2 and verse 28, there is a God in heaven. And according to Paul in Ephesians 4 and 6, there is one God who is above all, through all, and in you all. God is real. But God is also near. As Paul said to the Athenians, he is not very far from every one of us. In Jeremiah the 23rd chapter and verse uh, 23, the Lord talks about His nearness to those who uh, are upon this old earth. And He said, Am I God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? And listen to what next He says. Do I not feel heaven and earth says the Lord. Yes, God is near. God knows everything about our lives at every moment of our lives. In the language of Genesis 16, 13, Thou God seest me. But do we live as though these facts are true? Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a seeker. He is a seeker after God. Are we seeking after God today? But another of those values that has eroded is a conviction as to the seriousness and malignity of sin. Time was when sin was abhorred and shunned. That's what the Bible teaches, actually. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul said, Abhor that which is evil. But now it seems as though men aren't even ashamed of their sin. Jeremiah asked the question in Jeremiah 6.15, Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? And the answer is, no, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. 
It is a sad state of affairs when people have become so insensitive to sin, actually hardened in sin, that they're not even ashamed of sin. But another of the moral values, the spiritual values that has eroded is a belief in the existence of a place called hell. Hell is a real place. I know that because the Lord Jesus Christ taught hell is real. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus said, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angel. When men no longer believe in eternal punishment, they live without restraint. You may wonder, what has contributed to the erosion of moral and spiritual values in our world? I think one of the main contributing factors to the moral and spiritual decline in our nation, and even in our world, is secular humanism. Secular humanism is not something new. It is as old as man. It just has a new name. Humanism is called a religion. Uh, one who was a former president of the American Humanist uh, Association had this to say, down through the ages, men have been seeking a universal religion or, or way of life. And then he said, humanism shows promise of becoming a great world faith. It was in the Humanist Manifesto number 1 uh, that it was said, humanism is a philosophical, religious, and moral point of view as old as man. Justice Hugo Black, who was on the Supreme Court of the United States, had this to say, among religions in this country which do not teach what would be generally be considered a belief in the existence of God are Buddhism, Taoism, ethical culture, culture, secular humanism, and others. Someone says, well, what are you talking about, Brother Lambert, when you talk about secular humanism? Well, there are five basic parts to secular humanism. Number one is atheism. That is, that it is a belief that there is no God. One spokesman for humanism said, men do not possess supernatural and immortal souls. In other words, there is no God. There is no soul. Secondly, secular humanism as a religion believes in and promotes the theory of evolution. Third is an amorality. That's a destruction of moral values. One humanist said, there is no one up there telling me what is right or wrong. And what that does is open the floodgates to unbridled fulfillment of passion and desire of every kind. And then a fourth tenet of secular humanism is autonomous man. 
This simply means that man is self-centered, independent of God, and without responsibility. And then five, humanism believes in a socialist, one-world view. You say, well, what do we really need today? If we're going to turn things around morally and ethically and spiritually in our country, well, I think Solomon was right when he said, righteousness exalts a nation. Some wonder if, if God will always bless America. Well, I think that depends on man. God would have spared Sodom in the Old Testament for ten righteous souls. And that's why Solomon said what he did about righteous living, that righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach. It's actually a disgrace to any people. If the church is to maintain its pristine purity, righteousness must prevail. The church at Thyatira in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, was rebuked for the Lord for allowing unrighteousness to run rampant throughout. They allowed wickedness without rebuke. The church at Corinth was rebuked for allowing fornication to be practiced in the church. And rather than mourning about it, the Bible says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 5 that they were actually puffed up. They were a little bit arrogant about it. And yet Paul rebuked them for allowing the sin to go without rebuke in the church. It is the time is now for godly people in the 21st century to, to uphold a standard of conduct that's second to none. We are to uphold a standard of conduct that is founded upon, based upon the Word of God. It's time to stand up and to be counted. It is time to have respect for God and for His Word. It is time to abhor sin with a holy passion. It is time to guard against all advances of Satan. He is doing everything he can to destroy not only your life, not only America, but he is trying to destroy every nation of the world. And it is time for us to draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough. So now is the time to stand up and to be counted. Let me tell you about the end result of living an unrighteous life. So Solomon said it is a reproach to any people. And that simply means that it's a disgrace. It is a disgrace to in any people. Sin is a disgrace to an individual. Sin is a disgrace to a nation. Sin is a disgrace to a family. 
Sin is a disgrace to the church. It's a disgrace to the Lord. When we sin, we sin against God. You remember when Joseph was tempted in, in, by Pharaoh's wife and she tried to entice him to come and to lie with her and to sin with her? But Joseph said, no, I can't do that and sin against my God. You see, it's a disgrace to the Lord. And sin brings destruction. Listen to David again in Psalms 9, 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell in all the nations that forget God. In the book of Revelation, the 21st chapter of the Revelation, and in verse number 8, John tells us the end result of a life of sin. And he writes... But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part of the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. For friends, that's the end result of a life of, of ungodliness. That's the end result of unrighteousness. You say, well, Brother Lambert, what's the answer to all of this? How are we going to change all of this in our nation? First of all, we must come to the point that we love righteous living. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed of those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So we've got to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It is largely a waste of time to try to get someone to do right who has no interest whatsoever in doing right. They've got to have a hungering and a thirsting for doing what is right. I talk to people all of the time who are good people, who need Christ in their life. And they are seeking and they're searching and they're hungering and they're thirsting to do what is right. And it is my prayer that they will eventually come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And on the other hand, I talk to people who have no interest whatsoever in doing what's right. They'll tell you, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to have anything to do with the Bible. I don't want to have anything to do with God. Well, it's largely a waste of time to try to get people to do right who have no interest in doing right. So the first thing we've got to do to turn this around is to have a desire to live a righteous life. And then secondly, we've got to seek it. We've got to seek righteousness. We've got to search for righteous living in our lives. That's why Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But I'd suggest the third thing we do is to come to the foot of the cross because the cross is the answer to ungodly living. The cross is the answer to unrighteousness. 
It is in the book of Romans that the Apostle Paul brings us down to the foot of the cross. And I want you to look in Romans, the fifth chapter. I begin reading about verse number six. But when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So when Christ died, he died for the ungodly. I recall a man telling me one day, Brother Lambert, it wouldn't do me any good to, to, to try to be baptized because I've done so many bad things. I've done some terrible things. I said, well, you're the kind of man Jesus died for. This says he died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. Now listen to verse number 8 carefully. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, Christ didn't die for the saved. He died for the unsaved. And when we were unlovely, when we were still living the life of unrighteousness, when we were still uh, sinning against Him and sinning against the Father and sinning against ourselves, Christ died for us. And now verse 9, Much more then, having now been justified by His blood. Justified, how? By His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. Earlier in this book, in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, Paul talks about the wrath of God in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God's wrath is against those who are unrighteous, but now go back to Romans 5, verse 9. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. But what is it that saves us from the wrath? It's His blood justified by His blood. Justified. Saved from His blood. Redeemed by His blood. And that's the answer to ungodly living. Now let us continue to read. For, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Saved by His life. You see, Paul brings us to the cross in Romans chapter 5. And we can only be righteous by being in Jesus Christ. Let's go back here to Romans 5 again. And turn, not from the 5th chapter, turn over to Romans the 6th chapter. Because it is in the 6th chapter 
that we learn how we become righteous, how we become free from sin, how we become godly people by that blood. Now let's start reading in verse 20 of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace must reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now listen to verse 3 carefully. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let me ask you, where did Jesus shed his blood? We talked about his blood back here in chapter 5, verse 9. Where did he shed that blood? It was in his death. So when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ and baptized into the benefits of his death. Therefore, this is verse 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now listen to verse 5. We've been planted, united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, that's the old life, was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And thus when we come to the foot of the cross and we die to our sins, that is we repent of our sins, and we're buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism, and then baptize into Christ and baptize into the benefits of his death. And then we arise from that watery tomb to walk in the newness of life. Our sins have been forgiven. He adds us to the church family, Acts 2.47, 1 Corinthians 12.13. And we can live a life of righteousness. That is the answer to the moral and the spiritual erosion of values of both spiritual and ethical and moral in the 21st century. I want to thank you for watching today. And may I urge you right now to call for the free Bible course that we have been advertising. It is free. And may I give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. You will find people who to the very best of their ability are trying to live a godly life, a cross-centered life. They believe the Bible to be the Word of God. I want to thank you for watching. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>